Is this the greatest song of all time? Yes. Yes, it is. So we're going to have some fun as we don't miss a thing on today's episode of That Song From That Movie. Salutations. Thank you for joining That Song From That Movie, the journey through the very best and worst of movie songs. Let's do some introductions. So I'm the only certified astronaut and I'm saving your American ass. And I'm also your host, Dietrich. He's not a gas station. He's a sophisticated laboratory. It's Alex. That's how I've always wanted to be described. I think actually that's going to be on my gravestone. <laughs> and I've got five words for you. Damn glad to see you, Ben. You can see me? You're supposed to say that's six words. <laughs> I wasn't counting. I, I just took you word for gospel, D. <laughs> I actually did think, well, that didn't sound like the right amount of words. It's a, it's a quote from the film. I've always <laughs> trusted you, D. They literally go, that's six words. What film? How are we all today? Uh, yeah, yeah, good, as good as can be in this situation. I'm thinking my hair's finally reached that. I saw, I saw something the other day that it was like, um, everyone's hair during lockdown is going to be like uh, the fourth Harry Potter film, and that's definitely where my <laughs> hair is at right now. Oh, I think I've managed to sneak into the sixth Harry Potter film, where the sides are shaven. <laughs> the sides are shaven. Yeah. Well, your, your your sides aren't shaven. They're just it's just completely gone. Yes, um, sh- shaving all the way down to the skin. Yep. No, mine's getting pretty long. It's true bandana wearing time. Yeah, I'm actually having to wear like a bandana whenever I go into the garden, just so people don't see me <laughs> with the current state of affairs. <laughs> just so people don't see you. I think you could do that by not going in your garden. No, I need to do some gardening. It's like a jungle out there. <laughs> it's a jungle out there. <laughs> it's a jungle out there. So today's episode is I Don't Want to Miss a Thing by Aerosmith from the movie Armageddon. Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> I'll take you back then to the summer of July 1998 when this film came out. In the news at the time, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, the second book in the J.K. Rowling series, had just been released. Proved the first wasn't just a one-hit wonder. I can't really remember getting the books at the time, but I know I definitely had them. The second one was, was the first one that I actually read. I never read the first one originally. I have since. But yeah, the second one was the one I remember reading first. Yeah, the second one's the first one I got, and then I got the first one after. I think I yeah. got the first three as a set, so I was obviously late to the party. And to be fair, though, I, don't, I think I read the second one after I saw the first film. Really? Yeah, I didn't read them when they, first, when they were originally released. To be fair, I think that was for a lot of people. I was probably the same, but I can't remember. Also at the time, the FIFA World Cup was underway, culminating in France, lifting the trophy with a 3-0 win over the Brazilians uh, on home soil. Spoilers. Spoilers. (laughs) (laughs) You whispered that so quietly. I've been watching BBC World Cup Rewind, just about to get on to FIFA night yet. Oh, they actually? Oh, that's quite good. good. I think that was the first sort of one I remember watching quite vividly. It's the first tournament I remember, definitely. Yeah, I really remember the England losing to Argentina, and I really yes. remember the final. I don't remember yeah. much else of the tournament. No. Well, I seem to have blurred out the uh, the Beckham kick out at Simeone, but I remember the Owen goal. I remember David Bay missing the penalty, and it being a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone was blaming David Bay. It's probably in bed. <laughs> yeah, I think I'd fallen asleep. Seven-year-old me. It's like later as I'd ever stayed up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Well, apparently, and this is probably the best news I saw from the time, this month saw Queen Elizabeth II go for a coach ride around London with Nelson Mandela, though I don't know which one of them was driving. <laughs> apparently that was big news at the time. That sounds like big news. I thought you said coat ride at first. I was like, what's a coat ride? <laughs> Just trying out our new coats. <laughs> I thought you said coach trip. Like, Brendan was there. Like, oh, Brendan. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it might have been a very early testing season for Coach Trip. There would be a great deal on Coach Trip, though, Steve, wouldn't there? Yeah. <laughs> would they? Going like on a jet ski or like one of those ridiculous things that they always do on there. Hogging the back seat. <laughs> Hogging the back seat, yeah. Get me out of this seatbelt. <laughs> I may be tainted here with a bit of lens of nostalgia, but at the same time as Armageddon, there seems to be a heck of a lot of competition. So here's a list of what else came out this month. We have. Lethal Weapon 4. Classic. <laughs> Classic. Small Soldiers. Oh my god. Remember that film? Classic. Oh yeah, how could I forget that? I, just, I even had the PS1 game for that. Oh, well. that game was amazing. Yeah, that game was fantastic. Better than the film. And the film was good. <laughs> yeah, I'll go with that. We don't have uh, that game on that movie segment yet. Maybe we should. Once we unlock that second Patreon tier, we'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> that song and that game about that movie. We had There's Something About Mary. Pokemon, the first movie. That will definitely be a future one. Uh, the Mask of Zoro, Saving Private Ryan. So maybe I was a bit too young at this time. The Parent Trap, <laughs> the Lindsay Lohan version. Alex, I think this is a staple of yours. Basketball. Oh, come on. Definitely. Can't imagine you watched it at the time. <laughs> no, I did not watch it at the time. But I saw it many times afterwards. So yeah, there was quite a lot of films, although I heard that all of these films knew that the legendary Trolls 2 was coming out one month later, and so they all moved their scheduling to come out in July to avoid the conflict with such a behemoth of the cinematic industry. I can't believe that that was 98. I, I think I thought that was like the early 90s at the latest, <laughs> possibly 80s. And I was thinking you meant the animated film. I was like, that came out like two weeks ago. <laughs> no. And l listeners, if you've never seen Trolls 2... Get a group of friends, look up the Trolls 2 drinking <laughs> game, and have some fun. You'll be drinking a lot. Even if you don't want to watch it, still getting a group of friends is a good idea. No, yeah, not right now. Not <laughs> no, right no, now. Right. Well, they could do like an, um, an E an e watch all together on Zoom or Skype or, or you know, other brands are available. No, they're not. <laughs> We're not the BBC. We, do, we don't have to be very... Uh, I, um, yeah, we can be in power. Now, I want them all to endorse us. That's what it is. <laughs> I don't want to, I'm not picking a preference I want them all I want all of them yes it means like an executive at house pie putting his wallet away <laughs> exactly that was the news in July 1998 boop, 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 boop. moving on to the film does a film as great as Armageddon even need an introduction to be fair yes I'm going to say yes because we've got time to waste on this podcast <laughs> fair okay then so after discovering that an asteroid the size of Texas is going to impact Earth in less than a month, NASA recruits a misfit team of deep core drillers led by Bruce Willis to save the planet. And more importantly, America. <laughs> so, who's seen the film? Don't you dare say no. <laughs> uh, so it's probably been about 20 years since I've watched it. I did try watch it this week, but it's not on Netflix or Amazon Prime, so... I just had to go with memories of watching Elijah Wood survive. Wrong one! <laughs> Wrong one! Okay, well, the bit about Morgan Freeman being present. Wrong one! 
Uh, we will come on to this, but yes. Yeah, jokes aside, I, I do struggle to remember much about the movie outside of the clips that are on the video for Aerosmith. But I have seen it, so that's something, right? Yeah, it's definitely something. Do you remember your opinions of it? Um, I don't remember thinking it was amazing. I don't remember thinking it was bad either. If it was like 20 years ago, I can't think I was the most intellectual film viewer at the time. Okay, so Dietrich's wrong so far. Alex? <laughs> well, before, before I go to my opinion of the film, I enjoyed that you mentioned in the summary that the asteroid was the size of Texas. Yes. And it's like, what, why? <laughs> is in, in these things, is everything always the size of Texas? <laughs> I think it's just like an easy understanding thing. Like, Texas is big. Everything is bigger in Texas. <laughs> but it doesn't need to be the size of Texas. Like, even if it was like the size of Delaware or, I don't know, some other small state. If it was the size of like a mile long, it would be like probably destroy <laughs> the Earth. Yeah, it's like we, 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 they're going just way over the top with uh, over-exaggerating how big this comet is. But it doesn't need to be big. But anyway, in terms of the film, I've written down it's a disaster film and a disaster of a film. What do you think to that? Oh, 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 oh. I think you're wrong, but go on. <laughs> I've put it's lazy, it's cliche, and it's very long. It was like two hours and a half long, was it? It's, it yeah, felt it's long. long. It felt epic. And it's just sort of like one large edit of all the scenes from other disaster movies put in one long string and just cut every five seconds to a new one. That's how I remember it. <laughs> it is cut in a way that is um, hectic, let's say. <laughs> yeah, maybe that just adds to the tension. Or maybe it just adds to the confusion of what's going on. Well, it's, been, it's just because there's so much genius to get in. I mean, it's two and a, <laughs> I heard the original cut was about nine and a half hours. Christ life. I mean, I've put, though, that even though I think the film is awful, if it was on on Channel 5 and I turned on, it was 20 minutes in, I probably still would watch the rest of it just because it's so ridiculous. I think you can't look away because of how silly the film is. Yeah, yeah, no, I completely agree. I read a couple of re- reviews and I was like, yeah, these people are sort of backing me up, which was nice. An echo. Everyone loves an echo chamber. But then like, I saw that like a lot of like the Google reviews and stuff at the top from just people who had watched it, the reviews were like glowing and raving. I was <laughs> like, this is not how I remember this film at all. So I thought that was weird. I don't think it was very well reviewed at the time, but I'll go into that. It's one of those movies that uses that excuse of it's a movie, stop taking it so serious as like its defense at why it has all these ridiculous things. As we've already pointed out, the first thing of the meteor has to be the size of Texas. <laughs> In all seriousness, there is a lot of things wrong with it. And like, I'm the same as you. It's not boring. I think I can definitely watch it. And probably when it's finished, I'm like, oh my gosh, the time's gone. But you're laughing at it, not with it. And yeah. you shouldn't be laughing at all. <laughs> it's funny what you said before, though, about like you're not supposed to take it seriously. Because there was like, I think it was, was it Ben Affleck? He like quoted Michael Bay and he sort of said to him, like, why is it that it's easier for them to train oil diggers to be astronauts than to train astronauts to be oil diggers? And Michael yep. Bay's response was just shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, basically. That is Michael Bay through and through, really. In fairness, I think I'm with Michael Bay there. Like, it, it is still a film. Like, if it was a, a film where astronauts trained to be in space, that's not much of a film. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree as well. I think it is like, what's the point of pointing that out? So Ben Affleck, fuck you. <laughs> Shut up, Ben Affleck. Because <laughs> Ben Affleck sucks. So yeah, do people know how this film did at the time? I think it must have been a box office success because I just, I, I really remember it happening, even though we were only like seven or eight. I don't know if that's maybe to do with the, the video being on TV all the time, but I feel like it must have been a panned correctly, but a box office success. Was it a smash hit? I would say so, yes. So on a 140 million budget, it made 553 million. That's a decent profit. So I'd say that's pretty good. Michael Bay is quite bankable in his ability to make a box office hit. 
Looking back, there's only two films that he's made that haven't been smash hits. Any guesses what those are? Well, I don't know, Transformers 8. No, actually, every Transformers <laughs> movie has made its money back and then some. I think the third one made $1.2 Yeah, that's shocking. Is that Revenge of the Fallen? Take your word for it, D. It's a guess. Is that, a Mar- is that where Mark Wahlberg comes into the fray? Or is Mark it Mark. Shia LaBeouf at that point? You, no, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what about Bad Boys 1? No, Bad Boys 1 was a critical success. God. Bad Boys 2 was a critical success. Uh, yes, The the Island, starring Ewan McGregor and Scarlett Johansson. But that's actually a good film, so that surprises me that that didn't do well. <laughs> and then more recently he made a film called 13 Hours. Is that the one that was on Netflix? It might be on Netflix now, but it's, it wasn't. It was released in a cinema. He made a film called Six Underground that was recently straight to Netflix. Oh, that's the one I'm thinking of. Which was critically panned, but there's no box office revenue for that, so I don't know how to judge it. But yes, he's often known as the man who the critics hate, but for some reason, audiences just draw to his films. Does anyone actually like any of his films? Yes. Which ones? Pain and Gain. <laughs> yes, of course. I hate Pain and Gain. It's such a good film. Hyper-realised, like, sort of underground drug world. You've got The Rock and Mark Wahlberg making quips. At one point, The Rock barbecues a person alive on an actual barbecue. <laughs> what more do you want? It is an amazing <laughs> film. Okay, fine. And I would say The Island, now that you've mentioned it, because that has got a great concept. I didn't mind The Island. I think it's a really good concept. It's just not maybe fully realised, but I think it's a great idea for a film. Yeah. Well, altogether, his films have grossed almost $8 at the box office. So I don't know if there's many that can compete with that. I don't know who holds the top spot, but $8 is an incredible amount of money. I imagine that's not adjusted for inflation either. So it would probably even be even higher. Yeah, probably. But back in 2013, so this is probably just two Transformers films in, Michael Bay said Armageddon is his worst film. So even he doesn't like Armageddon. <laughs> did, did he give any reasons for that? Why, why he said that? I think he just said, like, it, in, it was in the same interview where he was saying, like, it's just a movie. I think he just said that they were pushed a lot with the reality of it all and they just thought, uh, let's just go for it. So even he doesn't like the inconsistencies with it. Oh, right, okay. But yeah, similar to what you said before, Alex, Roger Ebert, the famous critic, said it is an assault on the eyes, the ears, the brain, common sense, and the human desire to be entertained. <laughs> couldn't be more more of the panning that, could it really? <laughs> no, it couldn't be. That makes me want to like the film, but I don't. I know what you mean, yeah. <laughs> but still. What, in a counterculture something? Yeah, just being contrary. Yeah. But the Criterion Collection, do you know what the Criterion Collection is? Fancy films. Um, I know it's a DVD collection that that's, uh, you can buy. <laughs> yes. So it's kind of, it's quite famous for being like an art house collection of like a high achievement for a film to get a Criterion release. Please tell me this film's part of it. It was given a Criterion release straight afterwards, which is extremely rare because like I've got quite a few Criterion collections. They are artsy, fartsy films. Yeah. And yes, Armageddon was given one. Here's the quote why they released it. (laughs) Armageddon is a work of art by a cutting-edge artist who is a master of movement, light, colour and shape, as well as chaos, razzle-dazzle and explosions. (laughs) Was cutting-edge like an intentional pun there? Um, (laughs) Because it literally cuts every five seconds. Uh, Potentially. But I think at this time, like when it came out, obviously, he's made like Bad Boys, The Rock, Armageddon... He wasn't the laughing stock that he is now. 
I suppose it was Transformers films that did that for him, wasn't it? Probably. Because they just got... Because like, I suppose that the first Transformers film, and maybe even the second one, are watchable. But they just get so ridiculous and so over the top that I think yeah. maybe that's kind of what's done it for him. Yes. And the editing. There's so many edits. It is quite dizzying. If you've got a bit of a headache, it's not one for you. But yeah, D, you referenced it earlier with the Morgan Freeman, Elijah Wood quote. Are people aware of the deep impact Armageddon fiasco? Why don't you tell us, Ben? <laughs> <laughs> Inform us as well as the audience. Could have just taken a yes or no, that was fine. Yes. Basically, Deep Impact and Armageddon were two films very similar in concept. They're both about a asteroid or comet coming to Earth to destroy it, and they were released within one month of each other from rival studios. The two companies, so I think Deep Impact was owned by or funded by Paramount, and Armageddon was funded by Touchstone, which was owned by Disney. And both of them were like spying on each other and seeing what what the other sort of company was doing and making it to try and differentiate their films. And one trying to make sure they released it before, the other trying to make sure they spent more money. And it was a big rivalry to see who will come out top. But both films did amazingly well at the box office. So clearly there is a huge need for these massive extinction event films. I mean, very topical right now. Well, yeah, no, true. Armageddon got a bonus $3 million just to make the trailers for the film seem different from Deep Impact that was already out. So I don't know how you do that, just emphasise the amount of Bruce Willis and Ben Affleck or something, I don't know. I think it's just more slow motion walking. <laughs> there is plenty. There is a lot of slow motion walking. Because in Deep Impact, it's slow motion motorbike riding. Yes. <laughs> I think it was in that Roger Ebert review as well, where he says like the film is just one long collection of trailers put together. So it's no surprise <laughs> that it's been three million trailers, because probably no. just the full, the full film is just endless trailers for the same thing. But yeah, I mean, critically, Deep Impact did better. But the general thing that was the only good bit of Armageddon is the bits that we are moving on to, which is the hit song, and definitely a hit song, I Don't Want to Miss a Thing as performed by the American rock band Aerosmith, written by Diane Warren, and is obviously the leading song for the movie. Though not their usual cup of tea, I'd say, for Aerosmith, the song went on to become their biggest selling single of all time, and their only number one ever in America on the Billboard Hot 100. That does surprise me. Yeah, that surprised me too. I would have thought I like, Walked This Way maybe would have been number one. No, I think they had a few top 10s and a few top 20s. But if you think now, 1998, they're, as well, they're, they're waning a bit. They've had their sex, drugs and rock and roll era. I think this was a pretty big reinvention. But yeah, in general, what do people think of the song? It's amazing. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> There's not much else you can actually say about this song because it is that good. Yep. It seems to hit so many different emotions within like three and a half minutes that it pretty much suits any sort of mood you're in. It can be yeah. a fist-pumping, anthemic, upbeat thing, or it can be quite emotional and sad. It has, it has a bit of everything, really. And Aerosmith were probably the right choice for it, because Steven Tyler's voice can pretty much do anything. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I'd agree with that. I was doing the washing up with my wife yesterday, and we were both rocking out to this. It's just it's just an absolute tune, isn't it? Can't argue with that. It's just whenever you hear it, it's just it's sort of that sort of like opening refrain of the via the string instruments and stuff. It's just like ooh, gets you nice and tickled inside, <laughs> and then and then obviously it leads into the more like yeah like anthemic parts where you get the fist pumping and stuff like D said. It's just it's just such a classic song. <laughs> yeah, I'd say it is an it is an anthem. It's a, it can be played every, everywhere. What about people's opinions of Aerosmith in general? Do we think this is a typical song for them? Is this a, I like this one song and I don't like any more Aerosmith kind of thing? Because all, all three of us have technically seen Aerosmith live. 
Yes. We did, yeah. Together. We did, yeah. And when they played this song, I believe it got an amazing reaction from the crowd. <laughs> we did. Um, I would just say that we didn't go specifically to see Aerosmith, just in case. <laughs> People were thinking we're that kind of guys. Speak for yourself. <laughs> I think um, it is very different maybe to sort of the early 80s kind of stuff. But then I think in the early 90s, they had like Crazy and Crying, <laughs> which I often saw on Kerrang! and Scuzz. Yes. They were more on li- in line with this, but I suppose they were more around the same time as this. So it kind of makes sense. Yeah, the song Sweet Emotion is one that comes to mind, which feels to be in the same similar kind of vein. Maybe not quite as, well, cinematic as I Don't Want to Miss a Thing, but I don't know if that's just because I mentally picture it with Bruce Willis compared to Sweet Emotion. They re-released Sweet Emotion for this film as well. Huh, that sort of uh, lines up then, doesn't it? So yeah, I, d- I liked Aerosmith, but I would say as a child, this was my first introduction to Aerosmith, so I wanted more songs like this. Yeah. This song probably was an introduction for a lot of people into their back catalogue, I suppose, wasn't it? Yeah. And brought them back to more relevance, which is maybe why I saw like Crying and Crazy on, on Karen constantly. Because they're sort of like, ah, oh, yeah, along the same kind of vibe. Yeah. And Liv Tyler's in the videos. <laughs> yes. Oh, well, she was in one of them, but one of them was um, Thingy from Clueless. Oh, Alicia Silverstone. Alicia Silverstone, yes. Fun fact, Sorry from Lost is in the videos as well. Really? He is, yeah. <laughs> he steals the handbag. <laughs> That's one thing I always point out, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, you've kind of you've kind of both said it, but this is their best song, then. Yes, I would say so. That I've heard. It's the one that yeah. you would immediately think of. Yeah, maybe Dream On. Dream On. See, like I say, I'm thinking it now, but Walk This Way is a pretty iconic tune, I guess, of the amalgamation between rock and rap. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe that's the one that a lot of other people would go for, and it is a bit of a dance floor jam. Yes. I think they've got a lot of big songs. And like I say, I was reading an article and they said they've managed to keep relevant for so long by reinventing themselves, like Walk This Way, getting into a different audience and connecting with the younger population. When, you know, when they're hitting their 40s, late 40s in the late 90s, they've you know lent themselves to like Armageddon and this has basically exploded them again, you know, introduced them to a new audience who now can access their back catalogue. Whoever is their manager, I think, has done them very well. Yeah, well, I, I was wondering, I don't know if you know this or not, Ben, with Liv Tyler being in the film, was it that's why they got the gig or did she get in the film because they'd signed up to do the song? Was it which way around, was it? Or was it neither? It was the first. Yeah, it was the first. They got the gig because of her being in the film. Oh. Yeah, which is, I'll go into now, actually, because the, as I said before, the, it was written by Diane Warren. People heard of Diane Warren? No. No. She is a household name of writing these sort of hits for films. She's been nominated for Best Original Song at the Oscars nine times. Never won. God, what 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 songs? Well, I'll say some other ones that I recognise that you probably recognise. So just after this, there was um, There You'll Be from Pearl Harbour. Come on, Faith Hill. As soon as you said it, I was like, I bet that's one of them. <laughs> Had to be. Another classic, How Do I Live? Ooh, Leanne Rimes nice. from Con Air. Wow. And her first Oscar nomination was Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now. Oh, yeah, from Mannequin. From is Mannequin, yeah. Coming soon to an episode of that song from that movie. <laughs> it's got to. <laughs> so, yeah, she, she knows how to write a long-lasting hit. She says that she was often brought in to the sort of popcorn masculine films to add a bit of a feminine touch. Uh, what was it? Diane Warren? Yes, Diane Warren. We might need to have, like, a klaxon when it's her song. Yeah, Diane Warren special. <laughs> <laughs> the Diane Warren klaxon. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> but not that. We can't use that for everything. <laughs> We're limited in our abilities to make sounds. I need like a thingy whistle, you know, like Sideshow Luke Perry. <laughs> yeah, sorry, like, that's our word of the day. Was it uh, <laughs> loud? <laughs> <laughs> 
But yeah, she's she was often brought in to bring these soft ballads to these macho films, which she was fine with because she's obviously made a very good career out of it. It's quite interesting how she got the inspiration for the song. So are people familiar with the relationship of James Brolin and Barbara Streisand? Well, I think they were husband and wife, weren't they? <laughs> they are still husband and wife. Are they still husband and wife? Yes. So yeah, they've been together since, I think, the just before this film came out. I think 1997, so when she was tasked to write a song for this film, she was watching an interview with, I think the TV show's called 2020, and it was an interview with Barbara Streisand about her new relationship, and Barbara Streisand said, James Brolin, he doesn't want to go to sleep because he'll miss her. Diane Warren got the inspiration for the song from that interview, and so she just wrote down on a piece of paper, I don't want to miss a thing, and then started to build lyrics around it. Hence some of the lyrics like, I don't want to close my eyes, don't want to fall asleep because I'll miss you beautiful <laughs> which i think is a great fact yeah that's really good isn't it it's like strange how inspiration strikes yep from this kind of song if you're thinking what's been written and leanne rhymes performing a song like just two years before of hers who do you who do you think she probably had in mind for this kind of song big sweeping ballad Ooh, what year are we 98 it's not celine dion is it we're getting back to celine it was celine dion <laughs> was it me. <laughs> yes so yeah, she originally had Celine Dion in mind to sing the song, and apparently because of Liv Tyler being in the film, they contacted Aerosmith. She didn't think they could do it, but she sat down at a piano with Steve Tyler. He added his Steve Tyler fang, and history was written. Yeah, I suppose once once he's done that, like any version after is going to be different. Not necessarily worse, but it's going to be different, isn't it? And I suppose if you yes. get used to hearing how he does it then it's going to be very difficult to move to somebody else. Because I feel like Celine Dion probably could have done a good version of it. Yes. But I suppose it would be a very different version. I wonder if Celine Dion has recorded a version of it, or performed a version of it somewhere, maybe like on Vegas. <laughs> yeah, maybe hidden somewhere. Want to search on YouTube, guys? Yeah, if you find it, let us know. Do people know where the song appears in the film? I can't remember. So it appears twice. One when Liv Tyler and Ben Affleck are building their relationship it's a very stripped back version of the song. Like it doesn't have the drum beat. It doesn't have sort of this what a 50 piece orchestra behind. I think it's mainly just a piano and Steve Tyler. And then at the end of the film, when they're, spoilers, getting married, and then the actual version is played out in the credits. So it gets quite a lot of usage in the film and is repeated over and over again. I think it does work in the film as much as it is a great song, as in the stripped down version is quite an interesting way about going about it, I feel. Yeah, I suppose like it kind of works if if that's how it's placed in the film. Like once, like struck down in the middle, and then once again at the end, it's kind of like their song, isn't it? You know, when they reunite at the end of the film. So that's yes. a nice little like use of it within the film to do some storytelling. So maybe Michael Bay's not a complete fool. Do you guys remember the Aerosmith music video? Absolutely, I, I do. It. Yeah, was that, a, <laughs> was that a simultaneous? Yes, yes, yes. Yes, it was. Yeah, pretty much. I remembered it mostly, and then I rewatched it, and I was like, "Yeah, this is exactly how I remembered it." <laughs> what do you remember about it? Steven Tyler's mouth mainly. Yeah. Stretchy skin was another thing. Fingers. <laughs> <laughs> Extreme close-ups. Yes. Do you know why that is? What? There's a specific reason for it. Yeah, there is. Yes. I do uh, know. Well, I actually know. Go on, Dietrich. Steven Tyler had broken his leg or something like that? Yeah, he'd injured himself in a in a concert before and they were just cancelling their tour, so he couldn't do his like, walking around, so he's just sat on a stool 
So they just did loads of close-ups to not show that his leg was in like this cast. And it worked. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it just accentuates his mouth. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which takes up the full screen. <laughs> the other thing that I really remembered, and like when I saw it this time, I was like, yeah, this is this is the way it was. There's a part where Liv Tyler is like caressing like a screen longingly, but it, on the screen is Steven Tyler, <laughs> <laughs> not Ben Affleck. And it's just That's like, true, this yeah. is, what story is the, the, the video trying to tell? <laughs> I just don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's, yeah. It is very unusual. But yeah, it does. most of it does act as just a huge advert for the film. Which is exactly what it should do. It almost sells the film better than the film does. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'd, go, I'd go with that. Yeah, because it has like, it keeps, it builds that dr- sense of dread and drama in you, doesn't it? Because of the, how good the song is. So the song helps build up the film for the film to knock you down, which it doesn't really ever do. Well, I mean, it does to sleep, maybe. Oh, ash. I mean, maybe that's why they used it three times. <laughs> yeah. Just keep throwing it in. Keep throwing it in. People seem to have an emotional connection. We need to talk to Steven Tyler about recording a two and a half hour version of the song to play it over. <laughs> it's like uh, Pink Floyd and Wizard of Oz. <laughs> yeah. Interestingly, actually, this music video was directed by Francis Lawrence, who directed the last three Hunger Gamers movies. And I think he directed Red Sparrow recently. Uh, yeah, that, that's another Jennifer Lawrence film, isn't it? He said that he never met Michael Bay. He didn't know why Michael Bay picked him for the video, but he did it. Just watching it back, I was stumbling through some YouTube comments about what people have said about the film. And obviously most of the things, it's about it being nice and reminding them of a, a past love or current love. But there were, there were some that did stuck out that I've just had to share. Yeah, can't wait. Here's with it. The, well, the first one is, this is the song of my quarantine, R.I.P. Asteroid. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad Bruce Willis can only destroy asteroids and not coronavirus. Of course, yeah. I'm surprised no one's like sort of, you know, because like the picture that you keep seeing of coronavirus is that sort of like greyish ball with the red bit strands on. I'm surprised no one's put together like Bruce Willis on one of those with a... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Over to you, listeners. This song is too good for Michael Bay and Ben Asflex movie. Um, I don't know if that's a common insult of Ben Affleck, but I will take it up. And then the last one and my personal favourite, I Never Cry. Nice try, Aerosmith. <laughs> so, clearly Steve Tyler did not resonate with that young individual. But he gave it a good effort, though. And, and the guy applauded him for that. <laughs> Just imagining this guy sat, arms folded, staring at his computer screen like, nope, nope. <laughs> Thinking that Aerosmith are just speaking directly to him. Trying their best. <laughs> I give it a D-. minus. <laughs> yeah, so I was reading an article just the other night about this song. And it said that this song was the last great movie credit ballad and that they no longer exist anymore. And I was trying to think, and I couldn't really think of examples off the top of my head, and I thought you guys might be able to help if there is any. But I got their point of like these, you know, we mentioned like Leanne Rhymes and the Pearl Harbor one. What's it? I've got it off the top of my head now. Faith Hill, uh, there you'll be. Yeah, which I technically, I think, was the year later. So, I mean, if that counts. But as in this sort of period, do they exist anymore, these sort of huge ballads? Yes. Gondi. Fast and Furious 7, See You Again. Is that a ballad? <laughs> the Charlie Poof bit is definitely a ballad. I mean, there's a, slight, there's a rap over the verses, but definitely a ballad. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd kind of accept that. And it's used over the credits for emotional impact. It's a big song. It's a big song. So it still, it still exists. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but there was that Kate Winslet one that was in the animated version of Christmas Carol. I used to see that on the music channel a lot. I don't remember the name of it, though. 
<laughs> so maybe not the same scale. <laughs> I mean, clearly, clearly, that's not you're not proving the point there, Alex, <laughs> by saying, "Oh, that song from that film about that." Oh, I can't remember it. It was good though. They probably came out in the early nineties. Yeah. I think I was reading an interview with Francis Lawrence, the guy who directed the film, and he was saying that the executives still wanted a song for the film to help push it, you know, advertise it, but they didn't think like a ballad would work because it would take out away from the film, as in it doesn't really fit anymore. And I'm just thinking like, do you think they still have that power if these songs were picked in the 90s to sell the film? Are movies still relying on that now? Or Or is it just these huge blockbusters, these standalone blockbusters don't exist anymore and everything is a franchise? I think that's part of it, isn't it? That films like Armageddon don't really exist anymore. Yeah. And if they do, they're much more serious. They're they're a bit less melodramatic. Like the last couple of years, there's been like a couple of big war epics, for instance, which you maybe could compare like something like Dunkirk or 1917, you know, which are big scale films. Yes. But they're much, they take themselves much more seriously than maybe something like Armageddon does or like Titanic does, which we discussed in one of the early episodes. Are you guys thinking what I'm thinking? At the ending of 1917, if I don't want to miss a thing was playing as it was running across that field. Don't you think that would be a much more impactful scene? <laughs> I think it would have taken you out of it a bit. <laughs> I don't think it would have done. I think you would have probably, you would have stood up in that cinema and I think you would have clapped. <laughs> I think it would have taken me out of it if it was in the credits. If I'm like, well, what is Aerosmith on? I think a lyrical song does that, doesn't it? Like if it's a song with, like if it's just a musical refrain, that's fine. But if it's actually a song with words, then it obviously then you're very aware that you're watching a film. It doesn't work with the film in most ways. No, and I think I think there's a lot more care taken now of the soundtracks of either like using older songs or making a, a completely brand new song that goes with it with the power of musicals and stuff like that now. Yeah, the, like to go back to the sort of ballad to sell the film, the only one I can really think of is the Lady Gaga song, Shallow, was it? From the new yes. version of um, A Star Is Born. Because that was kind of like a big song that they released before the film to get people to go to see the film. And that was like a big ballad, I suppose. But it's not the same type of film. I suppose it's kind of in the film as well, though, isn't it? It kind of is in the narrative. Yeah, that's maybe the difference, that it, that it is a, song, a film with songs in it, so it kind of works differently. But I guess Dietrich's proven this article wrong by saying Fast and the Furious 7. So there we go. I mean, that was like three films ago in the franchise. So it's not exactly the most recent example, but it's the most recent one I can think of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you, you clearly had it in your mind. Because there wasn't one in Hobson Shaw. I have not seen Hobson Shaw. You should. Idris Elba at the top of his game. Is it, is it Idris or Idris? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> just, a, just a quick one then. In the song, there's a lyric that says, and then I kiss your eyes. <laughs> is that normal? <laughs> I don't think I've ever kissed somebody's eyes. If you're, St- if you're Steve Tyler, if you just kiss the face, you're kissing like, the nose, the ears, <laughs> the eyes, the mouth. Yeah, maybe he's just saying it because he knows it's going to be like a, an accidental byproduct. So he's making it seem normal. But what about like, when Brolin does it? Because it's seeing as it's about him. I don't think he, I don't think it's a quote for quote sort of take <laughs> of the... Uh... In the article, it was like, and then I just kiss her eyes. <laughs> <laughs> what, just like shrugs his shoulders? Maybe he said thighs and then misquoted it. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's true. I don't, wait, I kiss your thighs and then and thank God we're together. Is that or, <laughs> or they're together? Like you thank God the thighs are together. I don't know, but yeah, I don't think Diane Warren didn't just steal a speech by James Brolin and turn it into a hit. I think it was just the inspiration from that one line. Okay, at some point in the future, we need to get Diane Warren on the show and ask her what she actually means by kissing somebody's eyes. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I can do. Yeah, just slide into a DM, Smith. Why did you write kiss her eyes? 
people like that? <laughs> maybe there is a really valid reason. Maybe she's just one of those people that know she's onto a w- winner and then she's like, I can write anything now and, you know, it's a hit. People believe it. What is bound to happen now is that we'll see a BuzzFeed article where it's like, we spoke with Diane Warren about that controversial lyric in the Aerosmith song. Controversial. Controversial. <laughs> well, it is BuzzFeed. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is what they would say. This response will shock you. So I think we can all agree that I Don't Want to Miss a Thing is an emotional ride from start to finish. Mm-hmm. But there is a ride it's not on. And that is the rock and roller coaster starring Aerosmith <laughs> at Disney World. Yes. Well, it doesn't feature on the ride. Nope. I've never been. No. And it's also not in the Paris version, which is now gone. As Ben pointed out earlier, this is Aerosmith's most successful song. And the ride opened a year after it. So I'm still riding that crest of this song. Why do you think they did not include this song when it seems perfect for like the conclusion of a roller coaster? <laughs> well, when you stopped. Yeah. I can't imagine riding a, a roller coaster with a live, like, sort of a 52 piece orchestra sort of playing. <laughs> I can't. That sounds dope as hell. Does it play other songs then, D, while you're on the roller coaster? Yeah, the songs vary from ride to ride, but yeah, this song, you can only hear it in the gift shop afterwards. You can hear it in the gift shop, because you don't want to miss a thing while you're in the gift shop. <laughs> but smart, smart. <laughs> can you buy eyes? <laughs> can you buy eyes? <laughs> Maybe it's on in the gift shop because they don't want you to leave the gift shop so they play the best song, so you just sit there and listen to the full thing. And meanwhile, you know, they can peddle you more product. They've got that hidden two and a half hour version that Dietrich's been seeking. <laughs> well, if, they, if they do have that, I will go to that gift shop and buy it. If any Disney executives are listening, seeing as they're uh, sponsoring us for Disney+, Plus, then <laughs> I'm willing to buy a two and a half hour version of this song. I think my main question about all of this is why is there a ride at Disneyland Called the Aerosmith Rock and Roller Coaster. Ah, because of Universal's Rip Ride Rocket, which had loads of different music, loads of different bands. Like you can listen to Limp Biscuit, for example, when you're on that roller coaster. Oh, that's a great roller coaster. It's a fantastic roller coaster, even if some people will disagree with that. But yeah, Disney wanted to do their version of it, and because they wanted to put a story around it, they went, "Let's get an actual band to be part of the actual ride." And <laughs> thus, sense. they went for the biggest band at the time, Aerosmith. Is the one in Universal called Rockin' Rollin' Coaster? <laughs> they originally thought Celine Dion, but then once they actually built the ride and Steve Tyler showed up, <laughs> they realised he was right for it. Yeah. Well, it, his scream is the perfect start to that roller coaster. Imagine a Celine Dion roller coaster. I've got it. <laughs> I thought it'd work more if it was like, you know, <laughs> yeah. the rocking ship. <laughs> no, it's just a very, it's very slow build up and then just a huge sort of pile driving, like 400 foot drop as it hits that crescendo. <laughs> And then you die from all the G force. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. G four. That was the roller coaster at Drayton Manor. G four. <laughs> We've quickly fallen to the wayside now. Yeah. Welcome to my roller coaster themed podcast. <laughs> that song from that roller coaster. We're branching out. <laughs> it's just all Aerosmith and Limp Bizkit. And G four. Uh, right. So as we said before, the film came out in 1998, and it is now 2020. Hopefully, at the point of listening, does this song still have cultural significance? The song. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely yeah. Even though it's not included in the uh, Aerosmith Rock and Roller Coaster, it's still it's still of cultural significance. Yeah, I think so. It's still an absolute track, isn't it? Every time you, if you go to like more like indie clubs and stuff, they'll play this as like one of the last songs. Everyone gets up on the, on the feet. Yeah, I'm just like, was it was this song on the Aerosmith Guitar Hero? I mean, I imagine it was. I never had that. There wouldn't have been much to play, would there? I can't imagine they'd leave it out though. It was on Aerosmith Violin Hero. <laughs> Yeah, I like I say, I was busting it out while doing the dishes. Still an absolute tune. Don't want it to end. 
too short. Give us the two and a half hour version and we'll all be happy. Got to agree. I mean, if you turned on Kerrang! or I think I'm happy the only rock TV channel now. MTV rocks. What about Scuzz? I think that's gone. How's it gone? R.I.P. Scuzz. Yeah, but I think if you turned on Kerrang!, I don't think you'd wait that long before this song came on, even nowadays. Yeah, or Magic, even if you put Magic on those talking about. I was, not, <laughs> I was about to say, I think it was on Magic quite a lot as well. Yeah, I think I've literally heard this on Smooth UK Radio. <laughs> it's a favourite of Jenny Faulkner's. I'll take your word for it, Dee. <laughs> this has been a very weird podcast. It's been a strange episode. <laughs> I've loved it. Jenny Faulkner's favourite part of our podcast as well is where we ask the ultimate question of song or movie, which is going to be song. the quickest <laughs> version of this ever, Ben. Song. Alex. Song. D. Song. Yeah, 3-0 song. That was not a surprise whatsoever. I think we could probably just done that at the beginning. <laughs> Saved everyone half an hour. I was contemplating doing that, actually, as part of the intro. Like, <laughs> instead of saying... Like something from the movie each time. I was just going to say, and he will be picking song, Alex, and he will be picking song, (laughs) Ben. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's unequivocal. It's undeniable. I'd be surprised to find someone who would disagree. As well, like when when you hear the song, I think in a lot of the cases when we've done episodes, when you hear the song, you think immediately of the film. Kind of do with it, but not to the same extent, because I'm more just enjoying the song, because it's just so good. The song stands on its own, well above the film. Thank you for joining us today. Let us know what you think about the movie and the song. Actually, don't tell us what you think about the movie, because it's not very good. Uh, <laughs> tell us what you think about the song and why it's the best song you've ever, ever heard. Tell us that on Twitter, which is TSFTMPod. Nailed it. Get in there. Got it. I'm getting better every week at that. <laughs> and uh, right, so all that's left now is to say some goodbyes. So <laughs> goodbye from me, and it's goodbye from Alex. I just want to stay with you in this moment forever, D. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly it's reciprocated. Back off. And it's goodbye from Ben. R.I.P. Asteroid. (laughs) Oh, beautiful sentiment. And R.I.P. Skulls TV, apparently. Yeah, apparently, yeah. Lest we forget. And uh, R.I.P. The Rock and Roller Coaster at Disneyland Paris. Goodbye, everybody. See you later. Bye. In the arms of an angel How do I live? I still can't believe it's from Conair. <laughs> when when you said the song, I was like, "What film is that from?" It, yeah. I definitely it was from Conair. I love Conair. It is one of the best <laughs> films ever made. <laughs> is that coming soon to uh, that song from that movie? It's on the list.